Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. The uh, inimitable Ben Morley-John. I don't know what that word meant. It means fabulous. Oh, right. Um, I'm just trying to change my words. And uh, Ben and I uh, both work at the WeWork offices in Martin Place. And I have been on it him for months to get onto my podcast. And I finally trapped him into a room. You did? (laughs) Yep. The doors are locked. Ben is from a... (laughs) He's never getting out. Ben has just finished eating, finished eating his bun there and he's now uh, going to tell us all about uh, Smash Delta, which is his new adventure mm. in business. Yeah, that's right. Smash it was supposed to be a chili bun me, but that didn't happen. What? Yeah, it's for chili and it didn't come through, but that's all right. Bastards. Yeah, but we move on. You use them again. Yeah. So, Smash Delta, uh, what are we? We are a data strategy consulting firm. Mm-hmm. We bring together commercial strategy, think mm-hmm. traditional management consultants, science, think everything under the sun, data science, mathematics, etc., and design making things pretty accessible and exciting. You can do it in blue as well as green. We can do it in all the colors of the rainbow, including (laughs) just rainbow. Yeah. Um, So that's that's kind of the offering. And the idea is that we're here to short circuit a lot of frustration and um, inertia that's been going on in the industry. Mm -hmm. So jumping into big organizations, helping them understand what this whole data science thing is, how it fits together, and actually bringing along engineers and scientists and strategists and designers to actually execute prototypes nice. and to bring it to life. Yeah, yeah. And then use that as a launch pad of excitement and a proof point to then develop and deliver a, a launch pad of excitement. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, to deliver a strategy from there. So that's the that's the idea. That's the idea. That's, and he recently had some Herald coverage. Yes, we were in the Sydney Morning Herald a week ago. A week to that. Yep, a week ago. And hopefully in the age, I think, soon, which will be fun. Um, And that was sort of leveraging some of our past experience in future transport, public transport analytics, (laughs) to kind of just do a sort of shot across the bow to government and city planners to say, hey, there's all sorts of great stuff you can do with open data. In this state, we're spending $50 billion on public transport works, mm-hmm. and we're using survey methodologies to drive a lot of that analysis, and there's all this great data out there that we could be leveraging to make, nice. make our decisions and, too. Yeah. And of course, it's, it's, I've just been playing with it. The, uh, you can go to the website, I'll give you a link, and play with it and find out where the best suburbs to live in terms of how long it takes to get there, how much it costs you to rent. All of this data is in beautiful little, uh, uh, what's the word, simulations? Yeah, simulations. Pretties, in pretties. It's yep. in pretties. We'll, um, we'll be bringing it out in 3D soon, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 Wouldn't it be cool? Hologram? Yeah, yeah. HoloLens, why not? Yeah, yeah. Um, after that, can you do something with dating apps? <laughs> yes. I, I, we try to not stay, we, tr- we try to stay away from the creepy side of, of, of data analytics. So oh, no. we There's feel no like, creepy side to data analytics, just numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> you heard of Cambridge well, I'm a perfect man, Ben. You've heard of Cambridge Analytica, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've also read Dataclism, which is the um, uh, the guy who one of the guys who founded OkCupid. Okay, oh, right. Have you not read that? No. So he basically did analytics on use because he owns the company. He's yeah. done analytics on all the background in there, and you know, this is how many emails you have to send. This is the best question to decide whether or not you get on. You know, some really cool stuff. Dataclism. Okay. Yeah. I'll add that to my notes. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it on the links. One of the big learnings we've found in data science is that you need, let's call it, domain knowledge yeah. or this number smells funny. Yeah. You need that kind of thinking right. Yeah, you need that thinking right at the kind of um, extract, transform, load, data assembly, data creation level. Whereas if those things are separated, you'll have a bunch of people that are really great with numbers, but not might not really understand the business problems or the domain, call it public transport, call it retail. Mm. They might not understand that enough to actually sense check mm. what they're producing. Yeah. And by that point it's too late. Yeah. So what when you were recruiting these kinds of people and as you probably will be doing, I imagine for Smash Delta as well, what um what do you look for? Friendliness and attitude. Okay. Talk to, to tell you more about that. Um I'm I'm a bit of an optimist when it comes to people and my priority is getting people in the room that are super friendly, mm -hmm. not defensive, um, open to challenging ideas, but also open to being challenged themselves mm -hmm. because my priority is getting the people in the room to come to the right answer, not for one dude to be the smartest person in the universe, but mm -hmm. for the team as a collective to, to get to the best outcome and answer the fastest. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to have people that are relaxed, that are happy to challenge ideas, but also friendly and can check their ego at the door. Right. So that's massive for us. Yeah, 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 ego yeah. is catastrophic for yeah. this industry. Yeah, so that's that's the first big barrier. If there's a PhD who has been you know published in the Harvard Business Review, um, has worked for a sexy tech startup, but has a massive attitude, he will be more or she will be more destructive to my business than a bunch of decently talented people with a great attitude. Right, beautiful. So you want a friendly, and what was the second thing? Uh, oh, attitude. So they, they kind of go together. Yeah. Well, friendliness is just the idea that they're not going to talk down to people in their team or talk down to clients. A lot of our work is really deep and integrated with yeah. client analysts, not just talking to the senior people, but working you know, right at the ground level too. So you've got to be friendly. You can't be arrogant. And then the attitude side of it is just the attitude that I'm just going to give it a crack or I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to rely on my own intelligence. I'm keen to learn new things. Yeah, yeah. So that learning new things seems to be a constant thing when I talk to data science leaders. They're basically, that's, that's kind of one of the bottom lines. A curiosity, but not about just anything. Yeah. About new things and things that are relevant to the problem. And, yeah. yeah. I think the biggest misnomer in the industry is a data science expert or someone who claims to be the panacea for all your data science problems. Yeah, yeah. That's such a load of crap. Yeah, yeah. This industry is changing every second. Yeah. And sure, you know, Watson is coming up with some great stuff, but so is a 14 year old kid 
in Czechoslovakia in his basement building yeah. a new algorithm. And if you're not connected into these communities, you're going to miss out on a lot of ideas. And I think that's a foundation of our business is that because we're not flogging a product, mm -hmm. so to speak, our technology conflicts and does flex every day because we're constantly pulling in new open source technologies. So how do you keep up? What's your what's your professional development path? What who do you subscribe to? Who do you listen to? Who do you follow? Um, I this is probably an area of improvement for me, <laughs> but um, the thing is, you're, you're, you're in the middle of developing a very strong business, so yeah, time I, is of the essence. Yeah, what do you do? Because I bet you still do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I um, so what the way we solve it in our company is that we. I want to make everyone in our company a thought leader or an expert in their own field. No one's just going to be an executor. They've got to own a little space of this, of this framework, of this landscape, whatever it is, and they've got to be the expert in it. So one thing we do every day is we have team meetings with the crew and each person has to deliver news from their area. Oh, okay. So you, you leverage essentially, you don't have to do anything except bring one piece, but everybody brings one piece and everybody learns something new. Yeah. So I, I'm a traditionally a management consultant. So I'm reading the AFR, figuring out the big market mm -hmm. movements and changes that are, that are going on. Um, and then another one of us is doing a lot of the hardcore AI infrastructure tech side of things and another one's doing more of the design visualization side of things and between okay. us we're, we're teaching each other what's yeah. going on yeah, so nice. that's that's a small example that's of that yeah. but in terms of things I read um, I yeah so AFI every day um, I unfortunately have an addiction to US politics so I listen to okay. the yeah, so it's not particularly helpful for my industry, but I listen to The Daily every day, which is the Michael Balboa um, New York Times podcast. Um, I sometimes read Hacker News, TechCrunch. Um, yeah, those those would be probably the main things. Are you addicted to any particular YouTube channels by any chance? I am. Which um, ones? Uh, the Late Show, Stephen Colbert. Okay. Wouldn't, I have never, I don't think, I don't think I've missed an episode of The Late Show since the 2016 election. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's an addiction. Yeah, and it's a really weird addiction and not at all related to what that, we're talking about. That doesn't about. matter. It's, it's always useful to have... Is there any television you want to recommend? Uh, TV, yes. Handmaid's Tale, great. Oh, okay. Really enjoyed that. Um, what else have I enjoyed? Big Little Lies. Oh, yeah. I, have, I read the book. I haven't seen the, the really TV good. One yet. No, my wife got me into it. It's yeah. it's really good. It's HBO. HBO. You got it on Foxtel. Oh, Foxtel. Um, what else? Stranger Things. Love that. What else is good recently? There's a bunch of things. I mean, old school. I mean, favorite TV show in the world is Thirty Rock. Thirty, oh, really? okay. 30 yeah, Rock, yeah. Arrested Development. Are yeah, yeah. The greatest go. greatest television shows yeah. ever made. Because you're too young for Seinfeld. Too young, but also friends had a bigger presence in New Zealand, I think. Right. I feel like Sein I speak to people in Australia and Seinfeld was like the thing that was always on almost like every night of the week mm -hmm. on free-to-air TV. Yeah. Friends was on every night of the week right. free-to-air, yeah. yeah. So, we get that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I mean, Seinfeld was on. It was yeah, yeah. maybe just on at a different time. Well, yeah, and yeah. 
there's there's some years between you and me. So yeah, in that time, I probably watched both. I actually started. Frasier also had a period. I actually, I actually, yeah, Fraser's great. I watched a bit of Fraser. Actually, um, I actually started watching season two of Seinfeld literally just last week. Oh, okay. I think we we kind of started in the middle of season three, yeah. and it was kind of like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm liking it. And then they went back and did it once and I taped every single episode really on VHS it's the show about nothing right the show about nothing that's yeah. what Seinfeld had all of it and at the end of it you know after a while you're like oh, I don't need one of Seinfeld on VHS what do I do with all these stupid cassettes <laughs> going to my dad he's like oh, I didn't know you taped them off the TV I love that I you taped them <laughs> Betamax or VHS oh no VHS <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm not more bad. modern <laughs> No, just... I waited until they I waited until they uh, fought out the you know the beta yeah the, the format was thing. Yep. yeah before I bought a video yeah I was one of the last person in the world to buy a video recorder I think <laughs> and then one of the last persons in the world to buy a uh, you know a DVD player DVD player and now I don't have either of those things so there you go I got Spotify I got Netflix I got you know I'm just so much more tech now. Um, so uh, we should ask a, we should ask a work question. Yeah. Are conferences, are there particular conferences you like to follow or go to? I'm at two minds about conferences. When I was back in a consulting firm, I went to a bunch and I found them saturated with people trying to flog stuff. Mm-hmm. Sponsors up there basically just giving, pitching. pitching, giving themselves a high five and to be honest, what I look for in conferences, yeah, absolutely clients that I can build a relationship with, but also just genuinely interesting stuff. And I think unfortunately, a lot of what I've seen so far in Australia has been really salesy, hasn't been super innovative. Um, and there, there are definitely exceptions to that, but I'm not super sold on conferences at the moment. I'm really hoping that there are going to be some good ones coming out there. I think if you are in a startup or just for your own professional development, it's it's sort of just like a rite of passage that you have to at some point find yourself on a stage yeah. at some conference speaking somewhere. Yeah. And full disclosure, if you go to my LinkedIn profile, my profile picture is me standing on a stage at the Future Transport Summit, the Transport for New South Wales Summit, speaking. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit hypocritical. But I think for us, I would love to see conferences in Australia actually evolve uh-huh. into less salesy stuff, more interesting, useful information that people mm-hmm. can use and actually feel empowered by. Yeah, yeah. So have you, are you part of the IAPA, the Institute of Analysts, Analyst Professionals? I've interviewed Emma Schlunski. Uh, by the time this comes out, her hers will be on my site. Go okay. And she talked about they have a one-day conference once a year, and it's packed with really interesting analytics. I think that's probably one of the exception conferences that that's I went to, and <laughs> that I went to in Melbourne, where they actually had a bunch of people yeah. talking about real stuff they were yeah, doing. Yeah. Um, so I think I think if we're talking about the same one. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, asking a different question. A very quick question. I noticed we've both got our arms crossed. I'm just matching them. Is that is that always a defensive thing? Sometimes no, it's just comfortable. Cold. Sometimes it's just comfortable, right? I just had breakfast and you're trying to. You know, I feel like actually, every, I you just had lunch. I feel like everybody's overreading people's body language, and if you've oh, got your yeah. arms crossed, it's always seen as seems to be like a defensive thing. Well, when I teach body language and stuff like that, I literally go look for constellations. 
because this by itself, having your arms crossed, is not an issue. I could be cold, I could have a neck problem, I could be, you know, hundreds of things. I could just like resting my arms yeah, on my belly. Yeah, you could just be comfortable like this. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Could have indigestion. But if you've got that and leaning back and frowning and um, I'm not going to do both, this is bullshit. Yeah. That's a signal. <laughs> I really, I really hope, I really hope my comments here have made it on the yeah, cutting room yeah, floor. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to? I was going to ask you a different question. Um, oh yeah, any hacks? Any productivity hacks? Any ways of working? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! If you have any, please send them to oh, me. Really? Um, oh really? <laughs> um, productivity hacks. Okay. Um, food is the one oh, that okay. I'm... We just had a conversation with Ben for the balsamic vinegar cost a million dollars and I told him he should go to a supermarket. I, I need to go to a supermarket more. I get, yeah, fair enough. Okay, the big, the big one I'm on at the moment is uh, the idea that what you're consuming at the, at the moment yeah. or throughout the day and how you consume it has actually a massive effect on your productivity, focus, etc. And I think oh, yeah, a yeah. lot of that comes back to you know, sort of carbohydrate troughs, you know, how much do you eat and when does it, you know, make you snooze in the afternoon. Um, I find if I eat in a bad way. Like a, which, bun, like a bun me just before a podcast. Yeah, like that's, yeah, like a bun, chili bun. No, no chili in that bun me, that's right. Low but, chili yeah. bun, low chili, chili bun me, yeah. But if you, if you eat crap, you're subjecting your brain to the kind of peaks and troughs and sugar highs and you end up just using caffeine to kind of level out your concentration, but then you're giving yourself this other peak of trough. So my productivity hack is a book called Genius Foods. Okay. Just came out this year by a guy called Max Ludgrave. Okay. I'll look it up. I'll put it on the website. Lugavere. Max Lugavere. Max Lugavere. And his idea is... Um, He's not a doctor, but he worked with a bunch of doctors. He took a kind of like a horizontal cut across a whole bunch of different research verticals Mm -hmm. and figured out what was wrong with our understanding of food and then how to get it right and what the impact of that is on your productivity. Cool. So So that's your hack. You're not doing it yet, but that's where you're going. That's where I'm going. Excellent. I'm a work in progress. You right? are. I think we should, we should all acknowledge that we're all works in progress. <laughs> but the other option that people often tell me is just get eight hours sleep. Apparently it makes a difference. It's I a massive I, one. I don't function with less than eight hours sleep, so I get eight hours sleep. Yeah. Um, that's the secret of my success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get heaps of sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about stuff like note-taking hacks or... Um, learning hacks or being on time hacks you've got any of those um me being on time or me keeping other people on time? oh good question do both uh so first thing for us in our team is we have a meeting at start of day like right. bang on the dot okay. so if what you're time to start of day at the moment 9 a.m really mm. oh no i couldn't wait for you it's too early too early? Oh my gosh. So yeah, my if, if you are late for work, you are also late for the meeting and it's very obvious. Yes. So that's a good incentive just to get in on time. Um, I Another one is a, a big part of my job is actually having sales conversations with people where you do need to track time and it's your job to run the conversation because if it goes off track, off topic or over time, you don't get to you don't the point that you, you want to in the conversation. Sorry. 
so, so actually just being more being disciplined around tracking just tracking time generally is really important um, and not being afraid to kind of channel conversations at the right speed and trajectory that you need them to go um, yeah I don't know if that's a hack well I don't know I, I think uh, it'd be interesting to kind of and perhaps we do another podcast unpack the how of that mm. so you know I, one of the things that I, I do teach how to have more effective meetings and I'm always looking for people to give me some even smarter ways of explaining the how you keep things on track how do you yeah. keep it from going and if it does go off track how do you use going off track to come back yeah. As an improviser, I can link anything to anything. So they take it off, start talking about by me, then it comes back to, well, that's really what you're really talking about. Is yeah. And we consume and blah, 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 blah. And let's bring it back to the topic that we're actually talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it's, it's really, it's particularly tricky to do that when you're building relationships with people and you want to be nice. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's really hard being comfortable enough to say, hey, this is great. Let's just jump back on this other point we can chat about that in a second I think that's something that all of us struggle with Um, to do that in a way that isn't kind of doesn't sound like you're chiding them for having gotten off the point yeah yeah Yeah. no it's it's tricky because I mean our approach to the way our brand is built the way we sell and execute projects is the actual output is only 50% of it the other 50% is the experience, yeah. how people feel, yeah. how empowered they are with the process, yeah. by the process. Did they learn something new? Yeah. That's the old, the, the other 50%. And so yeah. it's so important that we get that dynamic right. Yeah. Otherwise, all the great work we do will be tossed out with the bathwater. Exactly. I mean, the, the principle is that if you're not in rapport with the client, then they're not going to tell you stuff. Completely. They're not going to share anything with you. Yeah, yeah. They're going to just neglect to mention they're having a meeting without you, etc., etc rather than being integrated because you're part of a team and you are actually, and given how you describe the way you work, you want to be seen as part of it, not the, the seagull that flies in, shits all over everything, takes a huge fee and leaves. Um, you know, that's oh my the gosh. seagull himself. If, any, if anyone calls me... No, I haven't, but maybe that's been called... Maybe I've been called that behind my back when yeah, I was mate. in consulting. Yeah, you look, you've got a bit of a... You know, a beak uh, <laughs> and those beady eyes. Like a, <laughs> he has nothing. Like I'll, I'll link to his LinkedIn profile. You can see his photo. He doesn't look anything like a pigeon or a sheep. A seagull. But yeah, I'll send uh, you some glamour shots. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. But I've seen you pinch people's chips, so maybe you are a seagull. Yeah, on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the seagull consulting joke: is that they come and shit on everything, pinch your chips. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the fundamental perceptions that we're wanting to change mm. with how we work, which is actually diving in, getting down in the mud with your people, mm. executing a joint project, collaborating, and not the, doing the traditional kind of pull a curtain back at the end of the day and say, here's uh, our finished product, and thing. see you later, guys. Good luck with that. Uh, but actually uh, working with them down in the trenches. Cool. Um, let me... Oh, so we've kind of touched on this, but then you might have some other ideas about this. Explaining complex things to data-naive stakeholders... Mm. Any, what do you want to say about that? I'm sitting in a chair that's going squeaky, I'm it, it is, yeah. Um, but it's a really good good way to fill the silence, yeah, right? Just the squeaking of the chair. Um, I, my, my challenge to everyone in this industry is if you can't explain hyper-complex data science techniques and tools and processes, 
um, in a simple and accessible way, then you're not as good as you think you are. Oh, okay. So it's essentially one of those hidden criteria for what makes a good analyst. I think, I mean, not just this, friendly, this friendly and attitudinal, but also able to explain simple things. I think there are, there are, there are, there are I mean, absolutely, there's a, a genius who can sit in a dark room and build the best convolutional neural network you've ever heard of. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the value has to be in being able to step back from that, break it down into its high level comp components, use metaphors, put it in a story and package it up and explain it and sell it to someone. Mm. Because there's, I, I don't want our industry to be associated with vicious nerds and arrogance. I want it to be associated with That'd be a great name for a consulting firm. Vicious nerds and arrogance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yes. Yes. Um yeah. V and That'd a be a good brand. V and and A, yeah, I love yeah. it. Vicious nerds. Um I've I'll go and trademark it now. Yeah. But I think one thing that really disappoints me about this industry is because I, I would have actually, when I was in the consulting firm, I actually sat on the client side where we would collaborate with people selling us analytics products or who had big data stacks. And <clears throat> you would quickly sort the great people from the terrible people by who would just dump jargon and buzzwords on you. Mm. And I see that as a weapon, as a way to use information asymmetry to make yourself look smarter, to confuse your clients, and to kind of throw up a bit of a smoke and mirrors thing. Nice. And symmetry, I like yeah, yeah, I can use big words too. Yeah. yeah. You just made that up, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. Information asymmetry, TM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TM. Um, and I just don't think, I, I think that is kind of at the root of a lot of the problems we're seeing in the analytics industry in Australia, which is people are on their high horse dumping other people in jargon and buzzwords and complexity. And that's not going to move things forward for Australia. You've got to be able to break it down into an accessible story, not be arrogant, be accessible, and get stakeholder buy-in and engagement. Mm. And so I haven't answered your question. How do I do it? Yeah. I try to tell a story. I yeah. use an example. I link it back. Are you a fan of the McKinsey Triangle, inverted triangle thing, the inverted pyramid? Do you no. have a model that you I know McKinsey likes frameworks. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one. Okay, just a couple of other people have mentioned it. So okay, yeah. I'll right. link to that. Uh, Liz Moore talks about it in her podcast. Oh, cool. Um, I, I, I like always telling a story. Yeah. Using a real life example and directing it to some commercial value. Mm -hmm. Why does this actually matter? Mm -hmm. Versus, oh, that's very pretty and I see lots of things flying around a page. Mm -hmm. Versus, this is actually going to make my company better. Mm -hmm. This is going to make my customers' lives better. This is Which going to make kind of necessitates understanding the context and getting the client to share what they actually yeah what the problems and challenges are and finding the pain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've got to you've got to build that trust with them where they're open enough to to kind of talk about that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Which goes back to what you talked about before: being friendly and not having a massive ego, um, so that you can people will trust you. Um, a, I mean, one of the big things in, and I've mentioned it in a number of podcasts because I've just been reading lots about it, is psychological safety is a big thing in leadership and management. Mm. And how do we create in teams psychological safety so people can literally put their hand up and go, I don't understand or I've got an idea or this is fucked up, um, whatever it is. By the way, did I say, you know, let's say fuck on my podcast. Are you? Yeah. 
I'm could. allowed to. You're allowed to too. I can't. I could never. I'm sorry. I couldn't say fuck on a podcast. <laughs> Thank God you can't say fuck on a podcast. It would be. Terrible. It would be terrible. Um, um, so yeah, but the psychological safety is essentially, and I think for for consultants, there's a there's an extra barrier. And once we get that psychological safety, the client feels they can say, "You're using a word I don't understand." Yeah. Or they can say. This is a real problem for me. So and don't feel like a dumb dumb when they say that. So, like this is this is one of the biggest issues mm. I think in the industry, mm. which is that idea that people are not comfortable asking dumb questions. Yeah. And the reality is, if someone's asking a question or has got a question rattling around their mind, fifty percent of the room does as exactly, well. Exactly. Exactly. Someone else has got that, and they. But when they're the sitting, best. but when they're sitting there, they're thinking, "Oh, I'm so dumb. I don't want to put no, my hand up." Nice. And and. W- whether that question gets asked or not comes down to either A, the bravery of that person, yeah. or B, the environment that they're in. Are they in a culture or an environment that encourages dumb questions? Yeah. Consulting firms are filled with super smart people, but there's always a lot of intellectual fear around asking a silly question. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would contrast that with a hero of mine who uh, actually is my wife, who is, she works in health. Um, I won't say her name, otherwise she'd get pissed off with me. But People will find out by going to your LinkedIn and somewhere in there it'll, you'll be connected. I have a very weird last name, so we're pretty easy to track down. It would be. Yeah. And but does she share your last name? She does, yeah. Oh, well, uh, so you've go. broken it now. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, but, Mrs. Morgan, John. <laughs> but yeah, but she, she's, she's honestly a hero of mine. She doesn't come out of corporate, but she works in health. She's an occupational therapist. She works with a lot of doctors, but her brand her calling card is just shamelessly asking dumb questions and not giving a shit and she does that better than anybody else i know but she learns so fast and gets so much respect and cuts through the crap so quickly because she just puts up her hand and said i don't i'm sorry i just don't understand what you're talking about how does um, A connect to B and why yeah. are you talking about Z? And then people will always come up to her afterward and say, I'm so glad you asked yeah. that question. Yeah. But she's got this kind of shamelessness and she just doesn't care yeah. about looking silly. Yeah. And I think that's a culture that I'm trying to channel more and project more yeah. into my industry and, and yeah. strategy and analytics. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's cool. Mm. That's very nice. Because uh, essentially what we... What, what, Part of it is about how you set that environment in the meeting itself um, because if you can create a safe place in mm. the meeting, uh, you know, and there's hundreds of tricks that people use about essentially making a you know, explain it to me like I'm three. Yeah. Explain it to me like I'm three. I'm yep. six or I'm, so, you know, can I just say why five times? Kind yep. Of and there's, there's two ways I do that. So one is if I'm running a client-based meeting, I say, there are no dumb questions. Yeah. Um, ask, ask and interrupt. Yeah. We like being interrupted in our meetings because we want to make sure people go, hey, I'm not sure I quite understand that concept. And that we, by making them comfortable, we get valuable feedback on what we're doing. Exactly. And then the second thing is, it, de- it depends on what kind of meeting we're in, but it, and it's taken me a long time to feel comfortable getting to this point, but my aim is often to be the dumbest person in the room. I'll try and be the dumbest person in the room because 
and by that, I don't mean literally being the dumbest person in the room. Hand out IQ tests at no. the front door and <laughs> no, but to, stand in a line based on your IQ number. No, but if I'm the one you know, with the client asking the silly questions of yeah. my data scientists and our technical team, yeah. and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand that, or that's quite confusing, or wait, can I just confirm you mean that way? Then suddenly I'm with the clients and they're yeah. going, oh, yeah, that's and confusing too. Issues. And yeah, and I'm, and I'm setting the standard that it's okay to ask questions. Yeah. Um, and I'm relieving the pressure of yeah. me having to come across as ultimate, you know. Guru of everything. Guru of everything in a meeting, which of course I mean, is crap. Yeah, well, I've met you, I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> not true, Ben is very smart. Uh, that's not what it's about. But I think partly you're, you're right, it's that, that essentially making it safe by, by throwing yourself in front of the bus kind mm, of thing. Absolutely. On behalf of the client, which means that they can then look smart when they go, oh, no, Ben, you missed it. He said that on the previous page. Mm. And you go, great, the client gets it, so I don't have to work out. And it's trying to create that culture around a project which is something you want everyone to hook into which is am I serving myself or am I serving the project and if you're serving the project you can kind of take your ego out of the equation take your own ambitions out of the equation and say okay well, what's just going to help us get this thing moving what's going to help us get to the fastest best answer um, and I think that mindset is really really powerful and that's why yeah we're a data analytics firm but part of that is trying to um, embody and demonstrate a new sort of working culture too. Mm, mm, exactly. It's just a constant, like, yeah, there's so much stuff. Um, okay, I, I can't, we're coming close to the end. so I'm having, having so much fun. Which is, I know we can do it again. Just, we just live in the next, like, next door to each other. We can, yeah. you know, live, when we say live, in the office. Um, what's your favourite charity? I would be remiss not to give a shout out to a charity that I sit on the board of called oh. Hope for Sydney. Yes. Um, so it's a volunteering organization. So what it does is it links up with <clears throat> a whole bunch of people in the community who are interested in volunteering and yes. it pairs them up with causes that need volunteers. Oh, and nice. Yeah. And so it's, it's a surprisingly um, fragmented and kind of, um, kind of stuck model it's very hard for organizations to feel comfortable sort of opening up to volunteers because they don't know what they're going to get yeah. and then it's very hard for volunteers to know where to volunteer yeah. so hope for sydney we we have some focus areas particularly people sleeping rough in sydney we do, yeah. do a lot of work there um but also with the asylum seeker community um out in western sydney so um going out working with those communities, getting to know the people, um, having barbecues with them, going to Eid Festival, um, doing indoor soccer, that kind of stuff. And you meet some amazing people. Excellent. Yeah, so I hope for Sydney. I will definitely link to that. Yeah, check it it's out. Always, it's people are doing amazing things. Mm. And, you, you know, I've, I've been listening. One of my favourite TV shows at the moment is The Good Place. I haven't watched season three, so don't spoil it on me. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, but this, with the Good Place podcast, they literally say, what's good? And they just ask people what's good, and it's fabulous. You hear all these fabulous things about, oh, this charity or that charity or sitting in the sun and playing with my dog or, mm. you know, it's like, what, what is good? We, you know, hundreds of things. If yeah. you haven't watched Good Place, talk to, watch The Good Place on Netflix. Fabulous. I think, and it's one about ethics. I'd be, it'd be sad if I didn't give this just a slight political bend for a second. Oh, but I hear what something to do with US politics. Yeah, <laughs> let me let me just give one. I I think. 
the way our politics has gone recently, not just in America, but in the UK with Brexit and, and all over, has been pretty awful in my perspective, but also has helped ordinary people to sit back and say, I can't rely on my government to be a moral leader anymore. You know what? I'm just going to actually get out there and do something myself. And so I think you're seeing a lot more people getting up off the couch and either running for office or making a difference or helping in all sorts of little ways because they're not sitting and waiting for their taxes to do morally great things. Yeah. They're going to go out and do it themselves. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah, yeah, I think you're quite right. I... I work with a, a very wonderful man named Paul Mitchell, who's a leadership trainer at the Human Enterprise, and he has a thing. He says, "Don't aspire to be a great leader. Aspire to do great things." Mm. And you're right. It's, it's that. Just do one thing. Go and support a charity. Go and volunteer somewhere. Go and run for office. Go and do this because yeah, we can't rely on it. It's the 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 outside's not going to do this for you. If you mm. want to but, but make a change, be that change. Yeah, I feel like there's a Michael Jackson song in there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe we should, yeah. I don't know if we've got the rights to actually do Man, the end, the mirror, or something like that. Yeah. Change the world. That's not Heal the world. Heal the world. Heal the world. Make this a better place. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, see, there's the improv side coming out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the singing. And the singing. And the singing, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it has been a great pleasure being more than John to have you on my podcast. Can, can we do it again? I'd yes, like please. Do it again. I've had so much we'll fun. We just do it like every week for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, we we'll just talk about improv and television. Yeah. Take it global. Yeah. <laughs> go on the road. That's all right. Um, thank you very much. I'm going to push stop. Here we go. This is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the consultant's consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.